Blog Talk Radio. Music Laws Fighting for Justice Radio. Don't underestimate the other guys, Green. Robert, Mark, and Reed. You have the right to remain silent. Let me shut up. It's 30 minutes away. I'll be there in 10. They see me rolling. They hate Music Laws Fighting for Justice Radio analyzes civil cases in the news, trends in the law, and covers all legal current events. Each week, Music Laws Fighting for Justice features newsmakers, attorneys, media personalities, celebrities, experts, business people, and so much more. Music Laws Fighting for Justice. Straight talk, no nonsense. I'm going to make them an offer again with you. Now it's time for Music Laws Fighting for Justice Radio. Here are your hosts, Robert, Mark, and Reed. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much for listening. We really do appreciate it. We have yet another fantastic show for you today. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, check out our website at kuziklaw.com. That's K-U-Z-Y-K-L-A-W.com. And you can check out our Facebook page, Kuzik Laws Fighting for Justice Radio. This is Reed Brightman, Robert Ryan, Mark Leonardo, Each week, we analyze the hottest civil cases in the news, trends in the law, and we cover all legal current events. Today, we analyze legal news stories of the week, and then we have our expert on, and after that, we're going to do Reed's rant and wrap things up from there. Again, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Kuzik Law's Fighting for Justice. Now, the first story of the week. Robert, we had a family of a Marine who died at Wisconsin at a Wisconsin VA center, filed suit. What's going on? Yes, Reed. First of all, let me say how excited I, I am to be on and what a great show we are going to have today. Man, what a story this is. It's sad, but so important because this brings together so many issues that we're confronting uh, as a nation. Uh, what happened was Jason Simkakowski. Um, a 35-year-old Marine veteran. He served in the Marines from 1998 to 2002, where he suffered a head injury. Um, After he was discharged, he continued to have all sorts of problems consisting of chronic pain and also anxiety, which is a very common symptom associated with traumatic brain injury. Anybody who's interested in the issues of TBI and some of the symptoms that results from them should check out Kuzik Law's website because it's one of our specialties. Anyway, uh, this young man had been treated at the VA facility and was admitted to its mental health department two years ago for treatment of anxiety. And what happened was the doctors prescribed him something called Suboxone. And Suboxone is a very powerful opiate-based medication that is usually used to treat heroin addicts. It satisfies or calms the cravings that's associated with opioid addiction. What the doctor who gave him the Suboxone didn't know, however, was that other doctors at the same facility had prescribed a total of 12 other different antipsychotic medications to treat his anxiety and other mental health issues. Unfortunately, this toxic mix of a total of 13 different medications, some of which the various doctors didn't know what was being prescribed by the other doctors, put this poor man into a coma and he was never revived and died. Hmm. Wow, that's terrible. It's a terrible issue. Now, his family has filed a medical malpractice lawsuit against the federal government. And this is a very difficult 
thing and a very technical kind of suit to bring. First of all, to sue the federal government, there's a, there's a very complicated claims process that you have to follow called the Federal Tort Claims Act, and there are important deadlines. So we would urge any of our listeners who have ever been harmed as a result of any action by anybody on behalf of the federal government or by the federal government that they consult legal representation as soon as possible to make sure that important deadlines under what we call the FTCA uh, are not blown. Um, more importantly, however, though, is the whole issue that this case poses of care and treatment at VA hospitals. We've all been watching in the news and picking up magazines and hearing on the TV in the past several years about the horrible track record of the care and treatment of our veterans at the hands of VA hospitals. Just terrible horror stories of uh, people dying and um, uh, medical malpractice being rampant and prevalent, uh, veterans waiting extraordinary amount of times to get the care that they need, um, and then when they do get the care, not being properly diagnosed or treated. And that's the issue in this particular case. Apparently, this young man was being treated at this hospital and had been treated by so many different doctors and prescribed so many different medications that the left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing. And under those circumstances, the very toxic mix of the various medications that he was given went unknown by the doctors. Now, it's very interesting in this particular case because um, one, of the, one of the issues is that the Inspector General of the Veterans Administrations investigated this as part of its overall inquiry into all of these many cases we've been hearing about in the news about how our veterans have been mistreated at these hospitals. And the VA's own Inspector General issued a report saying that it was medical negligence that caused this young man's death, that they had improper emergency procedures in place at the hospital for when he lapsed into his coma, and also that improper procedures were followed by the doctors in prescribing the various medications without knowledge of what other medications this young Marine was taking. Um, very interesting here, when you sue a government hospital, as I indicated, especially under the Veterans Administration, you have to comply with these technical FTCA requirements, and that's what this young man's family has done. They do have an advantage that many people don't have in bringing a case against the government because of the Inspector General's report that found that it was the hospital's own practices and procedures and the doctor's actions at that hospital that directly led to this young man's death. But it also speaks to an overall problem that we are seeing in the veterans' hospitals where everybody is very quick to say about how much we support and admire our veterans for the sacrifices that they have made, and rightly so. But this case brings up the more interesting issue, are, are we willing as a society to make the type of investment make sure that these veterans get the care and treatment when they come home from serving their country. And let me tell you, Reed, this is only a problem that's going to get worse. There are over 1,250,000 veterans who will be retiring in the next four years. So the overload at veterans' hospitals is only going to increase. At present, they have 19,000 doctors at over uh, 152 hospitals, and that can't serve the existing number of veterans we have right now. Plus, veterans are retiring earlier, and also, they're surviving battlefield wounds that in past wars would have resulted in death. So the kind of dollars and the kind of facilities that is going to be required to treat these young men when they, young men when they come back from wars is only going to increase. In this case, 
points up important issues that we're all going to have to deal with and think about as a society when we decide how much we do respect our veterans and what are we willing to do to make sure that our soldiers are taken care of when they come home. Absolutely. And I've seen a lot of debate on Facebook and social media where people are saying that veterans should be given free health care for life and it should be quality health care and I think our VA system has to be overrun. I have to say that before becoming a lawyer, I actually want to become a doctor. And what changed my mind is I volunteered at the Sepulveda Veterans Hospital, and I saw how horrible veterans were being treated, and I didn't realize that it was different at a veterans hospital than a regular hospital. And I was so turned off that I changed my whole life plan and got into law instead. So let's – It's very disappointing. It's amazing. I mean, our veterans, they put their life on the line. At the very least, we should give them the best quality medical care we can. Um, Mark Leonardo, you have a story about price gouging during the San Bernardino fire emergency, uh, the Blue Cut fire. Tell us what's happening. That's right, Reed. Uh, This is agreed at its very core. As you know, here in California, we've had a rash of wildfires throughout the state this year. And the last big fire was out in San Bernardino County, couple of weeks ago, which you said was a blue cut fire. And authorities had called for the evacuation of more than 34,500 homes, which amounted to about 82,000 people in the high desert and mountain communities. So when all these people were evacuated, they looked for places to go besides shelter. Hotels in the area were rapidly booked. But here's where it got interesting. Some of the hotels in the area raised rates way above their normal rack rates. One of the two-star motels in Victorville, for example, which normally charges $59 a night for a room, was charging $299 a night. That's $240 more than it usually charged. A couple other hotels, like a Holiday Inn Express and Marriott Spring Health Suites, they were advertising rooms for about $70 more than their usual price. And when they were contacted, employees at both hotels said the company's corporate offices dictates the price structure local hotel manager. This practice and in some other in California we have penal code section 396 which prohibits price gouging during emergencies and major disasters. This includes earthquakes, fires, floods, you know, civil disturbances. Now when there is no state of emergency, any anyone or any business can charge whatever they want. But when it's a state of emergency, once a state of emergency is declared, the statute prohibits raising prices by more than 10% above what the charges were immediately before the state of emergency was declared. Now, the statute is a really strong statute. It has both criminal and civil penalties. What this means is that there's a violation of the statute. It's a misdemeanor and is punishable by up to a year in the county jail um, or up to a $10,000 fine or possibly both. Now, a civil lawsuit can also be brought um, against a business or a person engaging in this price gouging, what we lawyers call a 17200 claim. And this is based on Section 17200 of the Business and Professions Code. That's a separate California statute which prohibits unfair competition and unfair business practices. Um, someone held liable under that statute can be forced to discourage all of their ill-gotten gains and in some circumstances, they can be held liable for attorney's fees. Um, so this the stat, the price gouging statute also says that 
it's a cumulative statute. So they can be held liable for um, going to jail, paying the $10,000 fine for each violation, and then the uh, disgorgement of all the monies they got that they shouldn't have uh, from raising all the prices. Very interesting. Is there a private right of action? Yeah, that's the 17200 claim. Anybody can bring that in a representative capacity for anyone in the state of California. And this, this also extends not just to hotels, but any other businesses. You know, for food, um, the statute talks about goods and services, uh, emergency cleanup services, supplies, medical supplies, building, transportation, just about anything, any business, it will apply across the board. And right, right now, the, the uh, San Bernardino District Attorney's Office is investigating several of these businesses for the price gouging in the last couple of weeks. Well, that's very interesting. Let's hope the uh, district attorney is able to get some traction on that. Uh, Robert Ryan, Tropical Smoothie faces class action over hepatitis A outbreak. Tell us what's going on with that story out of Yorktown, Virginia. Another another scary story that really poses the question that we should all be thinking about, which is how safe is the food that we eat? In Virginia, there's a, there's a chain of uh, smoothie shops called Tropical Smoothies Cafe. And between August 5th and August 8th, uh, earlier this year, uh, apparently they used strawberries frozen that were imported from Egypt. And soon after, they began getting reports at the Virginia Department of Public Health of a hepatitis A outbreak. Now, hepatitis A is an inflammation of the liver. Uh, it's not as potentially serious as hepatitis B or C, which can have lifelong effects and actually permanently damage the liver, but it can cause considerable pain and considerable discomfort uh, for a period of time. And more importantly, it may take up to 50 days for the symptoms to show. Most recently, it was confirmed that up to 28 people now have been confirmed sickened as a result of drinking smoothies at the Tropical Smoothies Cafe uh, that utilize these frozen strawberries from Egypt. And as a result now, you're hearing from the legal community in Virginia, a series of class action lawsuits have been filed against Tropical Smoothies Cafe. A class action lawsuit is when some person who's been harmed as a result of a particular co- conduct sues on behalf of all the other people who also potentially may have been harmed by that same conduct, and they don't have to bring their each individual lawsuit. So Tropical Smoothies Cafe is in for some uh, stormy weather, legally speaking, as a result of these lawsuits. Uh, they say they stand by their products and they will vigorously defend the lawsuits, but under Virginia law and under most laws in the, cal- in the state of uh, in most states in the United States, uh, somebody who put, puts uh, a product out for consumption by the public in a cafe or a restaurant is liable if it turns out that that product is not pure or has been used or has, has contains adulterated or impure ingredients. So under these circumstances, with this outbreak directly traced to these strawberries that they put in their smoothies, it looks like they may have some trouble from a liability standpoint to all the many people who we still remain to be seen may have been sickened as a result of drinking their smoothies. That's a very interesting story, and of course they have uh, uh, serious damage to their reputation. I think it's great that we have these laws that permit a single person to bring a class action, a class action is particularly appropriate where the damages would be really low and it wouldn't be worth bringing uh, an individual case. But if you're going to sue on behalf of thousands of people, then it works. Kuzik Law is actually bringing a, 
a, a case here in California where we're suing on behalf of thousands of people to get a refund of development fees, impact fees that were improperly charged by a local government. Uh, I want to remind everybody this is Kuzik Law's Fighting for Justice with Reed Brightman, Robert Ryan, and Mark Leonardo. Check our website out at kuziklaw.com, K-U-Z-Y-K-L-A-W.com, or our Facebook page. Uh, Mark Leonardo has another story about a family bitten by bedbugs at a Disney hotel, and they filed a lawsuit for damages. Mark, what happened? Yeah, this past decade has witnessed the epidemic of bedbug infestations in hotels, motels, condominiums, and apartment buildings across the country. So in response, many property owners and hotel management teams, they actually do the right thing. They take the necessary steps to get rid of the infestations on their properties, and they warn the guests or the tenants of their infestations. However, in some cases, property owners fail to live up to their legal duty, which results in severe cases of bed bug bites. You'll have unscrupulous landlords and negligent hotel managers who fail to properly inspect for or exterminate the bed bugs, and they can be held liable for damage. Aren't bed bugs real tiny? You could hardly see them. Well, yes, you can see them. And uh, if you go into a I do this all the time now. I go into a hotel. I look at the bed right away to see if there's any little tiny, tiny, tiny little blood spots because uh, they come out at night. Anyway, we had this family from Northern California. They came down for a, about two years ago for their big Disneyland resort trip with their three kids, and they stayed at the Grand Californian Resort and Spa. And then the youngest daughter started getting itchy on her face, and uh, soon the whole family was itching. So they reported this to the manager of the hotel who sent them over to the housekeeping department and they kind of like denied everything and poo-pooed it and said it was just mosquito bites. And they really didn't do any investigation at all. But when the family returned home, they went to the emergency room up in Oakland and they were diagnosed as the whole family having been bitten by these bed bugs. Um, So what they had to do is they, they threw away all of their clothes and all of their luggage so they wouldn't have brought it into their home back in Oakland, which is the smart thing to do for them, because a lot of people don't do that, and their whole house becomes infested. Um, For some people, these bites are relatively harmless, but for others, they can have allergic reactions and swelling and sometimes scarring. And the youngest daughter of this family claims to have permanent scarring in her face from these these bites. So they have a, um, a lawsuit for six causes of action that covers battery, negligence, and fraudulent concealment. Um, we talked about hotels last week, and hotels have a very high duty of care to their guests. They must take action to prevent harm, and to um, if they know about these infestations, they must you know warn about them. Um, of course, most hotels aren't going to do that. They're going to say, "Hey, we have bed bugs here at the hotel." Like usually, they cover it up. But in this instance, there's a, a registry called BedbugsRegistry.com. And they've listed their uh, handful of complaints since 2000 until at the same, uh, at the very same hotel for the last four, five, six years. So I think Disney's going to have a hard time claiming they didn't know this was going on. Very interesting. Well, I hope they clean up their act. I would hate to stay at a hotel <laughs> with bed bugs. Bed bugs. Yeah. Uh, our- yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to move on to ask the expert, our featured guest. Uh, Every day, Americans are bombarded with news about crime and murder and sad news. But there could be a funny side of the law as well. Joining us today is our featured guest, Mr. Jeff Gurian, who will offer commentary on a few of today's top legal funny headlines. 
Jeff Gurian. His website is jeffreygurian.com, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-G-U-R-I-A-N.com. is a comedy writer, performer, director, author, producer, and doctor. He's written material for comedy legends such as Rodney Dangerfield, Jerry Lewis, Phil Hartman, Joan Rivers. He's also written for MTV, National Lampoon, and Weekly World News. In 1999, he launched Comedy Matters, a celebrity-based online entertainment column that has evolved into Comedy Matters TV, an Internet TV channel with over 300 A-list celebrity interviews, including interviews with Jimmy Fallon, Chelsea Handler, and hundreds more. Jeffrey Gurian is also author of a new book, Laughing Legends, How the Comic Strip Club Changed the Face of Comedy. Mr. Gurian, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Reed. It's great to be on with you. And I just have to say, I heard you talking about mosquito bites and crime. Did you know that a guy in New York got arrested for opening a mosquito bite shop? Wow. What is a mosquito bite shop? It's a a poor neighborhood and where people, he says, people can't afford to go away on vacation. So they come to his shop, he gives them mosquito bites, and then they tell people they went to the country. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? And that he is. got arrested nobody... now because, because of the whole Zika thing. Right. So, I was say, I hope nobody gets Zika. Exactly. You can't just open a mosquito bite shop. So that's what's going on in New York. Crazy people over there. Absolutely. Well, I understand that there's some genius that used a stolen credit card for to, to bail out her friend. Uh, what happened there? Can you believe this? This woman, she she's already she's already has a history of being convicted for fraud. So she steals a credit card with a man's name on it and uses that card to bail her friend out of jail. Luckily, the man's name was Lisa Stewart. The man's name was Lisa? (laughs) That's the only thing that I could figure out because she, she she used a credit card to buy many different things before bailing him out, and no one bothered to check the card. And wow. then when they found out that the man's name was Lisa Stewart. Isn't that That's amazing? Crazy. And Yeah, and she bailed out this girl who was arrested for not paying a taxi cab fare, which wow. I think is very bizarre in, in, to begin with. She had, been, she, she had been in jail for a whole week until this woman came and saved her. Now they're both sharing the same cell. I bet. What about this... Uh this story about Ohio police identifying a suspect in a nacho cheese attack at 7-Eleven. Yeah, now the crazy thing about that is that this woman has done this before using a different type of cheese. Really? Every time. She commits robberies and always throws cheese at the person. Last time it was Yarlsberg. Then she used a, a package of cream cheese, which really injured someone. And she used... In in her biggest crime, she used an entire wheel of Gouda cheese, which which I think is amazing. A cheese bandit. So At least she has good taste. <laughs> and you know why they used wheels? Many years ago, when cheese was first invented, they used these wheels of cheese for transportation. Before they had wooden wheels, all wheels were made out of cheese. Did you know that? I did not. That's yeah, well, inter- see that? It's a good thing I showed up today. Interesting piece of trivia. Inter- uh, very interesting piece. And and how did they happen to find an Indian man in the 7-Eleven? That's so amazing. They, <laughs> I've never seen one of that. One of them you, you, No, the whole, that's why I thought at first the story was made up, because I said that's very improbable. And do you know that to this day, in Gloucester, England, 
They have a cheese race. There's a hill called Cooper's Hill. And ever since the 15th century, the people from that town, they, they roll a huge wheel of cheese down the hill and they race after it. Isn't that amazing how bored some people must be? This is a real thing, Reed. You have to, if you don't believe me, you can look this up. I, am, I stay up all night looking up unusual stories from all over the world. And this is the Cooper's Hill Cheese Race in Gloucester, England, since the 15th century. Amazing. The 15th century, that's amazing. What is that? The 1400s, they're chasing cheese over there. I guess these people are also very bored. Exactly, I was going to say. You'd have to be um, very bored to chase cheese. Well, better than cutting it. And it said, That's right. And it said that sometimes the cheese gets up to 70 miles an hour. Now, wow, I don't really? know what that is in kilometers. You you may be familiar with that. I don't know. I, I never studied that in school. I had to transfer kilometers to miles. Uh-huh. About 110 but thought, kilometers. About 110 kilometers. I just thought having a cheese bandit was very bizarre. Very bizarre. I think that- I find it interesting that the, the the lady keeps using different types of cheese, and she also was wasn't she dressed in a Spider-Man outfit or something like that? She was dressed in a Spider-Man outfit, and her husband, who must be a very upstanding citizen, claims that the whole thing was made up. He says that it was all the media. He his 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 exact quote was, "She didn't steal nothing." <laughs> so right away, you know that he was a graduate of one of the top schools. In Florida, where this happened. And, oh, no, this is in Ohio. Pardon me, in Ohio. And he said, the media lie every day. So, obviously, all those other cheese things that she did don't seem to count. But they found out that that's her M.O., that uh, a criminal, she carries a different kind of cheese wherever she goes. This time, it happened to be nacho cheese. And the man was lucky that he wasn't hurt. Yeah. Can you imagine... Well, Sitting in jail, and the other criminals ask you what you what you're in there for, and you have to say <laughs> <laughs> a cheese a cheese related event. It's a, it's you assault know? with a deadly cheese. Exactly, and you probably know the whole code on that as well, right? As a lawyer. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's a there's a fabulous restaurant near where I live called Retrovo in Pacific Palisades, and they make yeah. this pasta. And what they do is they bring out one of these cheese wheels and it it's on a cart and everything but i tell you it it has to weigh a hundred pounds and they they scrape the cheese out of there in in making the pasta right there by the table and you've never seen such a huge piece of cheese they actually have cheese wheels up to a thousand pounds it sounds so bizarre you're like who would make a cheese wheel of a thousand pounds you need like who's going to lift that but they actually do that and they do. They started making cheese in a wheel shape to keep it from spoiling, because bacteria tend to collect on the top of cheese. And if it's cut in a slice where, like, where there are corners, it's easier for the bacteria to attack the cheese. So they made it into a round wheel, and that's how it started. Can you imagine trying to travel in a cart with wheels made of cheese? <laughs> you can't get too far. Well, but it'd be smooth. It would be smooth for sure, but you'd be late for work. You would definitely be late for work. And you might smell funny. You definitely would smell funny, for sure. All right. Tell me about the the Court of Appeal upholding the right to private drunkenness. This is actually funny but interesting. 
Well, this is a very strange story. A 17-year-old kid in Plumas County, California. Now, most people don't know this, that the original name was Plunas County with an N. But the people voted to change it to an M because they thought it sounded better. That's very strange to begin with, right? Right. To change Plunas to Plumas. Now, he, this young fellow was found drunk in a woodshed. Now, I live in Manhattan where there are many, many woodsheds, as you can right. imagine. I'm sure you, you, you can't go a block that's without, where the, without running into a woodshed here. That's and where that's, the pigeons live on top of buildings, right? Exactly. I live in a 36-story building, and we have a woodshed. I'm surrounded by right. them, basically, right. in the heart of Manhattan. And, um, you know, that's where people go usually when they get drunk. People tend to find a woodshed, and that's what this kid did. Uh, it seems that the police were called. There was a noisy party, and by the time they got there, the party was over, and this kid was in the woodshed. And the, and the patrolman, a Deputy Beatley, I don't know why these people from small towns always have unusual names. <laughs> like Roscoe Beatley. P. Coltrane? Exactly, exactly. He found he heard noise from this woodshed. Right. And I don't know how he determined what was going on in there, but he asked this young man to come out of the woodshed, and as he came out, he arrested him for being under the influence of intoxicating liquor. By the way, do well, you know if there's any other kind of liquor that is not <laughs> intoxicating? But actually, it, w it was... Uh wasn't it disorderly conduct? Because that re disorderly conduct requires that you be found in a public, public, a public place. place exactly, and he was touch. inside the woodshed. Even when he came out right. in the street, he just walked out, and then he got arrested. Now, the, his, his attorney defended him on the basis that the woodshed was not a public place. Exactly. You know, a public place could be a barbershop, the hallway of an apartment building, somebody's front yard, but not a private place like a woodshed. Now, I'm sure right. you yourself have spent a lot of time in a woodshed. Only when I get drunk. <laughs> you can't get that many people in there. So it's not that public a place. All you need is two. I think that you, I know, I think that there's a rule that you have to have a certain amount of people, at least 10 to 15 people, would would classify a place as being a public place. And this, he was in there by himself with just a lot of wood. Right. <laughs> and, you know, which reminds me, did you ever know that George Washington wore wooden pants? Did you no. ever hear that story? So many people think, you know, when you go to school, you learn George Washington had wooden teeth. But the truth is that he wore wooden pants, and they're actually in the Smithsonian Institute. Uh, Washington was very poor. You know, he was born in 1732, very, very poor. As a child, his father made his diapers out of bark. He wow. had to actually hammer them closed. And you know the famous picture of Washington crossing the Delaware? Yeah. That's why he was standing up in the boat, because <laughs> he was wearing wooden pants. It's very hard to sit down in wooden pants. It's almost <laughs> impossible. Were, were almost the pants impossible. made from a uh, cherry wood tree? Well, that's why he was chopping down the cherry tree, to get softer wood for his pants. There you that's go. the real story, because he had been wearing mahogany pants. And I know you know how hard it is to wear mahogany pants. You get a lot of splinters. 
It's not comfortable. As a matter of fact, one of the things that inspired him to run for the presidency was he was running to school one day. His, his legs accidentally rubbed together, and a spark flew out and nearly burnt down the schoolhouse. And it was that shame that caused him to run for the presidency. He wanted to redeem himself because his family was so embarrassed that he had almost burnt down the schoolhouse. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. amazing. So you're saying he chopped down, you're saying he chopped down the cherry tree? You're saying he might have chopped down the cherry tree because he needed new clothes? He, he needed softer wood for his pants. Yeah, he he had been wearing mahogany What do you know? Pants. History explained. History explained. History, there we go. And you know A that all those stories are in... I have another book called Man Robs Bank with His Chin, which is a, a, a very unusual story about a, 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 a young man who was injured in an accident and wound up with a chin like a knife. And he grew up with a terrible inferiority complex because all the other kids used to make fun of him. And then he, he had a terrible temper. He became a bad drinker. It's amazing. Jeffrey, Jeffrey yeah. we actually were running out of time here. Oh, oh uh, we are? Okay. I, we are. So I want to thank you for, for being on our show. And very I welcome. want to remind our listeners that uh, check out jeffreygurian.com and his new book, Laughing Legends. Um, and we hope to have you on again Man, sometime. Thank you. Man Rob's Bank with His Chin is the story of all the crimes that we've been talking about. Is that so in that, that book, uh, well. Laughing Legends? No, it's two separate books. I have two books Different. out at the same time, Laughing Legends huh? and Man Robs Bank with His Chin. They're both on what, Amazon. I wonder if the guy was uh, any relation to Jay Leno. I don't know, but I think I dated his sister. You never know. You could have. You very well could have. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. All right, we're going to move on to Reed's rant. This week it's about slow drivers in the fast lane. It really irks me when I'm driving along, and I tend to drive fast, and there's some guy driving five miles an hour under the speed limit in the fast lane on the freeway. And everybody is switching out of the lane really quick to get around this person who is basically creating a road hazard. Uh, people are, uh, some people will drive exactly the speed limit, and it's very self-righteous, and they think, well, I'm driving the speed limit, so people should also do the same thing, or they should—they can just go around. But when, when a person is in the fast lane, they're creating a road hazard, they're creating unsafe conditions, and, you know, there's a lot of people out there with road rage, and they'll pass on the left on the shoulder, or they'll pass on the right, and it may or may not be safe, and it really causes some serious accidents sometimes. So be like the drivers in Europe. They do it right over there. I, I love going to Europe and driving on the Autobahn, the fast lane, the left lane on the on the freeway, people are only in it when they're passing. And when they're just driving in the natural flow of traffic, they're in the other lanes. And traffic is much smoother in Europe. Let's learn from our friends in Europe on that. That will wrap up our show for this week, and we'll look forward to a great show next week. Thanks, Reed. Thanks, Reed. Justice Radio with Robert, Mark, and Reed. Remember to check us out at KuzikLaw.com. That's KuzikLaw.com. Each week, we analyze civil cases in the news, trends in the law, and all legal current events. Thanks for listening to Kuzik Law's Fighting for Justice Radio.